if I had my way, I'd want them to just not use their watch at all because swimming is so much about feel. That Triathlon Show, episode 80. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to That Triathlon Show, presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, we talk about open water swimming. If I'm a bit edgy today and uh, sound a bit nervous, it's because it's Patriots Day in Massachusetts. It's Boston Marathon Day, and actually, my mom is running the Boston Marathon, so so I'm... Uh, a bit on the edge of my seat, so to say, about how that will go. She'll be running in, I think it'll be, it's still maybe 10 hours or so from now because I'm recording in the morning and I'm in Finland, so I'm seven hours ahead of Massachusetts time. But to her and to all of you other listeners, and there may be quite a few of you actually running the Boston Marathon, best of luck. I'd really appreciate if you write me an email when you've done it and and tell me how it went for you and I can give you a shout out on a future show because that's one of the greatest endurance events in the world. I've qualified for it a couple of times, but I've never had the opportunity to actually go and participate. But it's definitely a race that I will do not just once, but many times in my career, I'm sure, because I love the Boston Marathon, even though I've never done it. It's a fantastic event. All right, back on topic, open water swimming. My guest for today is Brenton Ford, who is a top Australian swim coach and founder of Effortless Swimming. He's a former national level competitive swimmer who coaches swimmers and triathletes of all different levels. He hosts swim clinics and camps, and he also podcasts. His podcast is called Effortless Swimming, and basically he's in the business of sharing his knowledge about swimming, proper technique and skills, and best practices for improving your triathlon and open water swimming. So today we'll cover things like the different training approach required for open water swimming compared to pool swimming. And this is very important because that's something that I see a lot of triathletes that I talk to. They have some preconceived notions about how to train that that maybe is is derived from, from coaches that have been teaching really, really old school pool swimming techniques that aren't necessarily applicable to triathlon swimming so this is something that i'm very big on that there are big differences and we talk about how to swim better in the open water what kind of technique you should apply in the open water how to train for open water swimming both in the pool and in the open water what kind of workouts should you do what tips can we give you for race day that's another thing that we'll talk about and uh, particularly one thing that's often missed is how to do a proper race day warm-up and finally for those of you who do suffer from open water anxiety, which is very common and you're not alone in that, we talk about that as well, how you can overcome open water or race day anxiety. All right, let's talk to Brenton and listen to the interview on open water swimming. Brenton, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's uh, good to be on here. And I know we've been in touch via email the last couple of months, and it's good to, to finally come on and hopefully share something that, uh, that will help the people listening. Yeah, excellent. So why don't you take a quick minute to fill in any gaps from that intro? Well, it was all pretty much uh, spot on. My background is competitive swimming, and I took up, I competed at a national level for six or seven years. And then I started coaching about 10 or 11 years ago, 
and just fell in love with it. It wasn't something that I intended to do, but I, I started coaching, loved it. And over the last probably four or five years, I've just really tried to work mostly with triathletes. And I started triathlons about 12 months ago as well. I had a, a bucket list thing, which was to do an Ironman before I had my first child. So I did New Zealand Ironman in, what was it, March this year. And I loved it and got to experience all the training that everyone goes through and saw why people get addicted to the sport. And it's, uh, yeah, it was a really, really good journey. And I haven't been back to doing triathlons just yet because I've got a little five-month-old boy, but just a, an awesome experience. And um, I learned a lot about the sport and also about the swimming component of it because the training is different from when you're training for a triathlon to training for a, a pool event. So it's, um, it was good to get a better understanding of those differences. So just out of curiosity, before we dive into the open water swimming interview, which is the main segment today, but did you find that it made a very big difference in your training coming from a pure swimming background when you now had to do the bike and run training as well in what you could do in the pool and how it felt? And did it surprise you in any way? Yeah, absolutely. The two biggest things for me, uh, number one was time. Obviously, you got to spend time on the bike, spend time running. So to find that time to swim as well, you've got to be quite good with your time management. But probably the biggest thing was mobility and also, I guess, heaviness in the legs. So for me, I found that my mobility got a lot poorer, especially through the shoulders. So I was a lot less flexible from all the running and riding that I was doing. So I really had to stay on top of that. And I saw a direct correlation between my flexibility and my swim time. So in the space of about six weeks, my swim times had slowed down by about two seconds per hundred just from all the riding and running that I was doing. And that was until I got back on top of my mobility and flexibility. And the other thing was just, I swam a lot more with a pool boy. So I changed the training that I was doing to use a lot more gear, like pool boy, paddles, that sort of thing. So I did see a, yeah, a bit of a difference there. And it felt a lot different than when I was just doing swimming. So it's, um, you know, as a triathlete, you spend so much time bent over when you're riding and running that you do need to compensate for that with some of the things that you do in your, your swimming workouts. That's really interesting to, to hear like actual numbers about how the flexibility and mobility can affect your swim times. And I guess it's not that easy to come up with numbers. We hear all the time that we need to work on flexibility and mobility, but, and we know that it's good for us, but we don't know how good. And this is a, an excellent example of, of how much of a difference it can make. So that, that was super interesting. So let's talk about open water swimming now. And uh, let's start with what are the differences and the similarities between open water swimming and pool swimming? Yes, yeah, so for me, working with a lot of triathletes, I originally used to work with pool swimmers mostly, but now it's mostly triathletes. And obviously, open water swimming is, is a big part of that. And one of the things I normally get people to focus on, the first thing is a, a slightly faster stroke rate. And that can come naturally from wearing a wetsuit. So if you're wearing a wetsuit or if you're in the ocean where there's salt water, you're going to be a bit more buoyant. So naturally, it's easy to get your stroke rate up. But for the most part, we try and get people to, to raise it by two, three or four strokes per minute, just because if you're in open water, there's often going to be chop and there's going to be other people around. So in order to have stability and balance, you sometimes need to get that stroke rate up a little bit. So that's the, uh, the first thing. One of the other things is your recovery can often change as well. So when you come over the top of the water with your arm, a lot of people try and stay very close to the water with their hand as they come over the top. And what that can do if there is that chop or any waves, it's a lot easier to hit your hand with on that oncoming water. So what we do with a lot of people is get them to recover a little wider, a little more open with their arms over the top. 
and not be afraid to swim with a slightly straighter recovery too. If you look at the top guys in ITU or Ironman, a lot of those people are swimming with a straighter arm recovery and that's because you're going to be a little bit tighter in a wetsuit and it doesn't matter too much how you get over the top of the water. It's more about how you enter and then what happens after that. So there's no point being too pretty or too cautious with that recovery. We focus on just getting the hand in front of the shoulder, driving in with some assertiveness and purpose because if you're being too soft and gentle, you're going to become a bit of a victim in the water there. Some of the other things, obviously the open water skills, and it's almost like a separate stroke in itself. When I first started open water swimming, it took me probably two or three years to get good at those skills because I came from a pool swimming background. I'd done that for 15 years. And then when I first went open water, I wasn't nearly as good as I should have been uh, based on the experience that I had in the water. So it took me a good couple of years to really get those down and get good at them. But practicing swimming in the open water, you're sighting, you're drafting, it's really a skill that you've got to have and navigating. And probably the, the last thing is just the timing of the stroke. So for some people, when they go open water, they'll benefit from having what we call split stroke timing. And a friend of mine, Annie Jones, she's a, a coach over in Boulder, Colorado. She talks a bit about this. But when you look at the top triathletes and some of the open water swimmers, you'll see that one arm will recover over the top faster than the other arm. So it's, it's that split stroke time and it's not going to be that constant ticking over. They've got that sort of choppy stroke that you see and that can help you deal with, with waves and chop again. And it can be a really good strategy and a good way to find your rhythm when you're swimming open water. Right. So how then should we train differently as triathletes and open water swimmers compared to how a traditional pool swimmer would train? Some of the things I do with my squad when I'm coaching them, the first thing is just probably once a week, we'll do some open water skills in the pool. So we'll practice swimming in a pack, having other people around you, getting comfortable being uncomfortable in the water and getting used to having people touch your feet or you being behind someone and having the water chopped up. So track, practicing those sorts of skills of swimming in a pack and not being completely calm and still water is a good way to do that. And you can do that in the pool and it just takes you know, swimming with a squad to do it. If you're training on your own, it's a little bit harder to do. But if you can get to the open water, if you can get to the, the lake or the ocean and just practice swimming in the environment that you're going to be racing in, that's a, it's a, the first step to getting better in the open water. Some of the things that we also do in training is just practicing your sighting. So navigation is probably one of the, the main things that can slow someone down. If you don't swim straight in the race, it's just absolute wasted energy. You can swim 10%, 20% more than what the actual distance of the race is. And if you look at your Garmin for your last race, if it's not within you know, maybe 5% of what the, uh, the actual course is, then you know you, you may have gone off course a little bit. So just navigation and, and practicing your sighting. And uh, you only need to do that once a week to get used to it. But having the right method of doing that is really important too. So what I often see people doing is when they go to sight, they'll do it the wrong way. They'll do it. They'll take a stroke and then they'll look forward. And it's a little bit hard to explain over a podcast. But basically what, what a lot of people do, which slows them down, is they'll take a stroke and then they'll look forward. Instead of looking forwards, and then taking a stroke and, and breathing. So it's called the sight and breathe method. And I've got a video on YouTube which, which takes you through it. But just those basic skills, getting those down, practicing them in the pool is the, um, the first thing that I'd, I'd get people to do. Mm, yeah, that's a good breakdown. And I'll include a link to the video in the show notes. I've seen that one actually, and it's really good, really explains it well. 
And uh, one thing that I was going to ask you is, uh, do you always practice siding in the open water or do you practice the actual technique of siding, even though you don't necessarily practice navigation in the pool as well? Yeah, if you practice it in the pool, it's the next best thing to doing it in the ocean. And it's good to get used to siding every four, six or eight strokes. A lot of people, when I'm first working with them, they're not siding enough. So they might be taking 12 to 20 strokes in between every look forward and it's just not enough you've got to do it between every four and eight strokes depends on the conditions and the course and whether you know everyone's on track and you can follow feet it comes down to a lot of variables but if you watch the the top triathletes you'll see how regularly they're they're siding so just getting comfortable making it a part of your stroke so you're not changing your rhythm or your timing is a, a really big thing so if you've only been swimming for 12 months and you haven't done much practice with sighting, it's worth spending a bit of time doing that before you start your first race. Mm, that's a really good point. And uh, regarding the swimming, uh, get, getting on feet and trying to draft of someone and follow their navigation, that's not always a good idea either. It depends a bit on where you are in the pack. If you're off the front then and just have the lead swimmers ahead of you, then that might be a good idea because they will be generally be strong swimmers who are also good at navigating. But if you are mid-pack or back of the pack, then you have no idea really how well the person in front of you is navigating. So you really need to take your own responsibility to do your own navigation and not necessarily try to get those drafting advantages because it will really be negligible if, if you go off course. So that, that's um, exactly right. Yeah. And just a, sorry, a quick story with that. I had triathlete Clayton Fatale on the podcast probably 12 months ago, 18 months ago. And he told the story of when he was doing the Alcatraz race and he was originally sitting on Andy Potts's feet and he thought Andy was going off course a little bit. So Clayton decided to swim his own race and not follow his feet. And he ended up getting out of the water first. So even with those top guys, sometimes they're not going to be directly on course. So it's about taking that responsibility and making that judgment call. So look at the person in front, look at where you're ideally going, and then make that judgment call when the time comes. Yeah. So workouts in the open water, how do you structure them? Can you give some specific samples of what you do? Yeah. So if you're swimming on your own, the, the way I'd normally do it is I'd like to keep it very simple. But an example of a couple of workouts you could do if you're on your own in the lake or the ocean, one would be to do four or 500 meters warm up, get yourself ready. And then we'll do variants of on and off. So it might be, you might go for 10 minutes or 15 minutes of swimming where you're going 50 strokes fast, 50 strokes easy, 50 strokes fast, 50 strokes easy. So just getting used to having that changing pace is a good way to do it. Another thing I'd sometimes do is where I live here in, in Melbourne, the beach that I'd normally swim at, there's about a 400 meter pole to pole swim course. So I might do something like three lots of 400 or four lots of 400 and I'm looking to get faster each one. So the first one's easy, second one's medium, third one's fast. So you can do very similar types of workouts that you do in the pool. It just depends on who you're with. And if you've got a group to swim with, then it's really good to do some race practice. So have everyone start on the beach or start in the water and then set up a, a little course that might be four or 500 meters and just get used to having everyone around you swimming fast and just trying to get, get one up on each other and get used to that race environment because there's nothing that beats race practice. And even you know, if you take four months, five months out of the season to in the off season when you're training and you haven't got any races, more often than not, you'll probably feel in that first race, you still haven't quite got your skills down pat. So if you, you know, if you haven't raced for a little while, you really want to get that practice in there. And uh, the best way to do it is make it as close to, to race practice as possible. And you can do that with a, a group of people. 
And that's a really good segue into talking about the race itself and, and what you, you should do in, in the race. Well, we talked about uh, drafting and, and siding and navigation already. And, and you mentioned they're getting sharp by doing race practices. But anything else that specifically for race day that, that you should do to prepare yourself and do in the race itself? Yeah, one of the, uh, there's a bit of a routine that I'd normally go through on race day. And that is to, to get there pretty early. And I know a lot of triathletes tend to be very OCD about this type of thing, about going through their routine, which is good. You want to have that routine. So I'd get there early, make sure I've got time to, to warm up, get comfortable, have a look at the course. So if you don't know exactly where the course is going, just have a look at where the boys are and just see if they line up with, with anything so that you know as soon as you turn that first boy, you might need to look for something bigger behind it. Because if it's hard to see, you might need to look at some objects or trees or buildings on the land that are behind that boy to help you help you navigate. But some of the other things are to, to visualize that race. So if you haven't visualized yourself going through that triathlon before the day, even just for a couple of minutes beforehand, I'd normally just picture myself how I want the race to go and how I want to, to be in that swim. So for me, I always want to lead, lead the swim because that's my strongest leg. So I'd picture myself getting away from, from the group or the pack within the first couple hundred metres and then swimming my own race and picturing the time I want to do and how I want it to feel. And then after that, it's about doing a, a bit of a warm-up. So when I'm working with people, uh, I ask them what their, their warm-up is before race and some of them won't get in the water and swim. And it's probably one of the biggest mistakes you can make, I think. I mean, some triathlons, they don't allow you to get in the water and, and swim. But if you've got that option and you're not getting in the water, you probably find that after the first three or 400 metres, you might feel very fatigued and, and heavy. And it's just because you haven't done that pre-race warm-up. So I'd always get my swimmers to do some easy swimming, then maybe some, some drills and some sculling and, and some kick just to get, get a feel for the water. But then make sure you're actually getting the heart rate up, opening the capillaries up and just getting that blood flowing. Because if you haven't got the blood flowing before the race, that's when you start to feel fatigued straight, you know, straight after that. Uh, so doing the right the right warm up and then just finding your spot in the pack and on the start line because if you're if you're a swimmer who's not comfortable in the open water and you decide to sit in the middle of the swim pack there's a good chance you might be swim over the top or you might you know, have people who are hitting your legs and hitting your arms and you're not comfortable with that so just whatever it is for you find that spot in the group or on the start line that is going to be most comfortable for you and fits your your race plan and then in the race itself, I like to keep it very simple. But for me, it just comes down to that first 300 meters. Just try and keep the heart rate down, get the speed up, but keep the heart rate down and find that rhythm that I can settle into. Because if you're racing an Ironman event, it's a good 45 minutes to an hour and a half of swimming. So it's all just about finding that rhythm that you can settle into and you know you can maintain for the race. And I've seen a lot of people try and race someone else's race so they'll, they'll go to the start line, they'll, they'll be next to someone and that person might be, you know, five, 10 minutes faster than them overall and they try and stick with them for the first 400 metres and by that stage they've, they've just blown up and they've got nothing left. So, it's, again, you've got to make that, got to make that judgment call to 400 metres because you've tried to stick with someone, then it's going to end up being a slower time and, and that's what I saw when I raced my first half Ironman, my first Ironman. I had the same swimmer who started next to me and for the first 300 metres, he tried to, to stick with me. And I could tell he was going too hard because he, he, I could tell he wasn't going to be, be able to keep up that speed and that stroke rate. And then he, he dropped away and got swallowed by the pack after, after that. So, again, you've got to make that judgment call, but try and swim your own race as much as possible. 
Yeah, pacing is uh, really huge in all disciplines of triathlon, but in swimming specifically, how do you do you have any indicators for what pace you should go in your race if you are doing your first race for the season, for example, and not quite sure yet? Is is it just the open water based on open water race specific workouts, or do you have any way to translate pool times for specific sets into uh, potential good race paces? How do you do that? Yeah, well, to to get it an idea of the pace that you might be swimming in a race, we do things that we call threshold sets, also known as CSS sets, but we call them threshold sets. And it's basically that swimming at that, that speed and that effort where you're not quite, not quite filling up with lactic acid, you're, you're still able to flush that from your system. Uh, so we might do a set of, say, 15 100s at threshold pace where you're looking to, it's fast, but it's sustainable. And if you, let's say that's a, a 130 and you're going on a 145, uh, if you can maintain that 130 over the 15 100s, then you've got a pretty good idea that you, you can probably hold that for your, say, Olympic distance triathlon. Now, if you're wearing a wetsuit, it might be a little bit faster. It can be anywhere from five seconds up to 15 seconds. If, if you're a swimmer who's at around a two-minute pace per 100 or 215 per 100, um, we've seen people who have gotten 10 or 15 seconds faster per 100 just by putting a wetsuit on. So it's going to vary for each swimmer. But what I find has been the best way to, to get a feel for what pace you can hold is by swimming without your Garmin. So swimming without your watch and just getting a feel for the, the effort that you're putting in for the pace that you're, you're getting. So one of my, uh, my biggest pet hates is, just, is people who are on the watch all the time. If I had my way, I'd want them to, to just not use their watch at all because swimming is so much about feel. You know, what I focus on a lot is technique. And we run a lot of clinics and camps around Australia and overseas. And, it's, and they're just focused mostly on technique. And if you focus too much on your watch, then you, you're not thinking that much about the feel for things. But you, know, you hear a lot of coaches, you hear a lot of swimmers talking about feel for the water. And it's also a feel for your pacing. So if you find it hard to judge that pace in a race, then you might be on your watch too much and thinking about it because when you're swimming in a race you're not going to be looking at your at your pace like you would on the bike or on the run so for you know what i'd recommend for most people is don't train with a watch just remember your workout you can upload it to to training peaks later on but you know the best way to get a feel is uh, without that watch yeah that's that's a good tip so you advise that you you would still have the watch but just not look at it if you when you when you say that you can still upload it later or was that what you meant well, yeah, I mean, you can still you can still wear the watch, but if you're looking at it after every 100 or every 200 meters and you're looking at what time you're coming in at, it's taking away the focus from your technique and your feel to to just being too focused on the watch. So, yeah, try and just stay away from the, the watch as much as possible. And pr- my preference is to not wear it. And I'll get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of blowback from, from people who are listening to this, but that's, that's my personal opinion is I've never swum with a... Uh, with a, a watch and for me it works best and for the athletes that I've um, had change over to it it's um, you know it takes a little bit of getting used to and it, for some of them they're annoyed that they're not tracking that workout but it's more about you know improving your swimming and becoming a better swimmer and it's not about what your Strava segment Strava segment says yeah that's, that's absolutely right and and uh, races are one in in the race or well you can improve in races, but so how much you track your workouts doesn't really matter at the end of the day. So finally, one question. Exactly. One question about open water swimming is uh, for those people who 
have open water anxiety or swimming anxiety, especially in, in races where there's a crowded mass start. Do you have any specific tips for, for those people? Yeah, the main one is focus on your breathing. So we had, we run a camp called our Hell Week camp and that's in Thailand. And one of the coaches who we had over there, he spoke to the group about keeping your heart rate down on the, on the start line. Because if, you've, you know, if you're racing an Ironman and you've trained for 12 months in the lead up to it, you're going to have a lot of nerves and anxiety on that start line because so much work has gone into it. But if you can just keep, pardon me, keep your heart rate down and just focus on your breathing. So big, slow breaths in and out and just keeping as calm as possible and get that heart rate down, it's, you're going to be so much better off when it comes to the race because it's a very long day ahead of you. So there's no point getting amped up and G'd up and you know, ready to just fire off that start line. It's about staying as relaxed as possible. And yeah, if you watch the, the, top, the top pool races, so your Michael Phelps, your Ian Thorpe, most of those guys, when they do PBs in the water, they often say it didn't feel like that. It felt too easy. So it's all about staying as relaxed as possible. So what I try and do on the start line is just slow my breath down. So I'll take a, a breath in for four to five seconds and a breath out for four to five seconds as well. And just keep doing that and just relax as much as possible until that start gun goes. The other thing would just be visualization and also practicing going to the open water and practicing that because a lot of that anxiety can come from the uncertainty of being in maybe deep water or water that you can't see a few meters ahead of you. So just practicing that as much as possible in a, in a safe environment where you can build up that confidence is the other thing that I'd recommend. Excellent tips. So let's move into the rapid fire questions segment where We've got five fast questions with five fast answers. So are you ready? Let's go for it. What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to swimming or triathlon? Uh, my favorite book on swimming is probably uh, Sheila Tiamina's book, Swim Speed Secrets. Really, it's not a long read, but it's got some really good tips in there. So that's probably my favorite one. What's your favorite swimming tool or toy? I can't go anywhere without my engine swim paddles and my DMC fins. What's the first personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Probably being around people who push me to, to be better. So when I, was, when I started triathlons last season, I had a lot of friends who were doing triathlons and, and forcing me to get better. So just surrounding myself with people who knew I could do better than where I was, where I was at. What's the most beautiful place where you've ever been open water swimming? Uh, there's two. One is a place in Turkey called Cash. I, I did a swim trek there. That was amazing. And the second place would, would probably be Korchula in, uh, in Croatia. And finally, what do you wish you had known or wish you had done differently at some earlier point in your career? I had to think about this one and it would be sleep more. So I, was, uh, I think I was chronically sleep deprived for probably eight years uh, growing up and, and swimming. So I, I wish I'd have uh, slept more because to me it was, a, it was about you know, push harder, sleep less, do more, um, do more. But... Now we know sleep is, you need it for your recovery. So uh, I would have slept a lot more than I did. How much did you sleep then and how much are you sleeping now? I was sleeping probably five, what would it be, maybe five hours to six hours on a good night. And now I've got a, a little baby, so it's not much more. But ideally, I try and get around eight hours when I can. Yeah, in a few years, <laughs> you'll get back to that. Yeah, fingers crossed. I'm looking, I'm looking out for it. Can't wait. All right. Uh, this has been great, Brenton. So fa finally, is there something that you want to plug or and tell the listeners where they can find out more about you? Um, well, I post a lot of uh, videos and podcasts on our website, effortlesswimming.com. In the next probably four weeks, five weeks, we're launching a service where you can do remote video analysis with us. So we run a lot of clinics around Australia, but it's very hard to get 
overseas. So one of the things we're about to launch is through this app that we're working with, you can grab your phone, open this app, and then record just, or have someone record you swimming or you can upload GoPro footage and that will come directly to myself or one of our other coaches and we can give you video feedback. So if you subscribe to our newsletter at effortlesswimming.com, once that is up and going, we'll send an email out. But um, looking forward to working with people all around the world and offering what we do to people, not just in Australia, but worldwide. That sounds like an excellent service. That's probably the one thing, if I had to pick one that has helped me improve my swimming the most, it's uh, getting having a coach film me with a GoPro and then do the video analysis. And, and now this makes it available and more accessible for more people. So that's excellent. Definitely. Yeah, it's, I it's, encourage people to check that it out. Was it the first time that you filmed yourself? Was that uh, digital different than you thought? Yeah, I didn't expect too much, but yeah, it, it did. And, uh, <laughs> and even when, uh, when, it, when you start to improve, you know, you, you expect how the, the visual imagery of looking at yourself swimming to how to have improved more from the previous times since your times are improving, but you notice that you, you're still doing some of the same flaws just to a slightly lesser extent. So, so that, well, in a way it's encouraging because you know that there's still a lot more time to say when you, when you get those flow, flaws sorted out. So, but yeah, it, it does yeah, look different than, right. than you expect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a feedback I always get. And um, as a coach, we look at it as right, not can what we, what can we fix today, but you know, how, what are we, what's the plan? What's the path for the next, six months, 12 months, and, and a few years down the track for those that are looking to, to be a triathlete for, you know, for years to come. So it's, um, it's a really gradual process, but having that constant feedback is really key. So that's why we're launching the service is to be able to work with people on a consistent basis and, and not just a one-off basis. And there you have it. I hope that gives you some ideas for how to improve your open water swimming. I don't know if you noticed, but to me, it seemed like an overarching theme in this interview was that it all comes down to preparation, really, and uh, preparing by doing specific workouts in the open water, but also in the pool and doing the practical race prep needed, like just simply knowing the course and the weather and the conditions. If you do all of that, your confidence will be that much better and Increased confidence usually correlates with better performance. So that is my big takeaway from this interview. Make sure you prepare appropriately. So one more tip that I want to add from my own open water swimming experience is doing time trials in the open water. And that's something that my coach has had me do on a fairly regular basis during the open water swimming season, which is admittedly very, very short here in Finland. I was at the pool yesterday and... Uh, I didn't go into the open water, but it's a, it's a seaside pool, basically. So you have the sea right next to it. And uh, they had measured the temperature and put out a sign saying that it was uh, 2.6 degrees Celsius. And today, when I record this, it's the 17th of April. It's uh, Easter Monday. So <laughs> 2.6 degrees Celsius. And we're a month and a half away from the first races. So I'm um, a bit nervous about that, but I'm sure it will warm up pretty soon. Anyway... Time trials in the open water is slightly less mentally draining than they are in the pool. And uh, importantly, it's as race specific as you can get almost, except for the chaos of having hundreds and hundreds of uh, other competitors around you. But still, you need to do things like, ideally, you would want a course that you time trial so that you also need to do navigation. But otherwise, what you can do is just do, let's say, 750 meters out and 750 back. And you can have basically have your watch depending on the kind of watch you have you can have it beep 
every 750 meters so it vibrates on your on your wrist when you get to 750 and then you know it's time to go back and and you just swim and it teaches you so much about pacing that's probably the most important thing that you can learn from them but also it gives you a reality check for what you actually are capable of doing on race day so it's not just a a shot in the dark a, a blind shot on race day as for how fast you can go and can't go so i'd really really encourage you to add time trials in the open water on a regular basis to your schedule. They're of course a great fitness booster as well. If you enjoyed this episode, I also encourage you to go back and listen to episodes 3 with Jerry Rodriguez from Tower 26 and episode 9 with Carlin Pipes. Both of these episodes are on swimming and the one with Jerry is still to this day one of the most downloaded episodes we have on that triathlon show. And the one with Carlin is uh, maybe... My, personally my favorite interview just because of how inspirational she is so so i highly highly encourage you to go and listen to episodes three and nine if you have any questions that you want answered on the podcast send me an email to michael at scientific com, and that's michael with a k or send me a tweet my twitter handle is at sci triat as always you can go to that com to get the show notes in a few days time And if you enjoy the show and find value in it, would you mind helping me get the word out by telling your friends and go to scientifictriathlon.com forward slash rate to rate and review the podcast. That link will get you directly to iTunes where you can rate and review it. And if you're listening in on your mobile phone in a podcast player, then in the show description, you should have the link so you can click it directly on your phone and will be taken directly to iTunes. On the next episode, we'll talk to Eric Schwartz, who's a former elite triathlete and duathlete, and we'll talk about triathlon run training and running in general, as well as training for and racing duathlons. Eric is a former US national duathlon champion, and as I said, former elite triathlete and duathlete, and his main strength was in running. He comes from a running background, so that will be our first running-specific episode. So stay tuned for that. I know that's something that's been requested a lot, so I'm very happy to oblige and give you a running episode, because that's my favorite of the free sports as well. Thank you for listening, keep training smart, and keep loving triathlons.